0: What does a service contract look like? A service contract is a legal document with legal language, and you can usually think of it in two pieces. There's the terms and conditions, and then there is the definition of what that service offering is associated with that service agreement. The terms and conditions will include things such as general definitions that are used throughout the contract or the agreement, it'll identify roles and responsibilities and accountability and liabilities associated with the agreement, and it'll set some of the legal expectations between the two parties of that agreement. Now, the second part of the contract would be outlining the specific service offering for that piece of equipment or that system. So that would be your coverage levels, other expectations as far as what services you are signing up for. Sometimes the terms and conditions and the service expectations of the specific equipment can blend together in various ways, but essentially both of those components are contained in any service agreement. It's also possible in some situations where the terms and conditions will be its own standalone agreement and then the coverages associated with the equipment will be a separate agreement that will be governed under those terms and conditions and sometimes that terms and conditions agreement would be referred to as a master service agreement. An obvious component of a service agreement is the equipment inventory. If it's a single piece of equipment or a single system, that's pretty straightforward, but if it's a large inventory of equipment or possibly a system that has many subcomponents to it, that should be outlined out in that agreement so you know exactly what is covered by that service contract. Oftentimes, if that service agreement is only covering a single system or a few systems, it'll be contained on one of the first pages of that agreement that outlines very specifically what is covered. If there is a large group of devices or system components, it could be contained in an appendix attached to the end of the agreement. A basic component of a service agreement is the definition of the coverage level associated with that equipment. The easiest example is a full service agreement. Usually when we refer to full service agreement, we're talking about an agreement that covers all parts, all labor, potential system updates covered during coverage hours. This would be analogous to having an extended warranty on an automobile where you essentially pay for all of your services and all you need to do is pretty much just put gas in the vehicle. Besides defining the actual coverage of that equipment, there's also often some sort of negotiated off-hours labor rate. You would usually pay list price labor off-contract, but then if you have some sort of an agreement in place, you would have negotiated off-hours labor rates for services provided, say, after hours or on weekends or holidays, and those rates would be greatly reduced from the typical list price for non-contract customers. Another discount that's often included in service agreements is discounts associated with training, and that could be technical training as well as applications training. So often the service agreement will define the coverage of that particular system, but there's often some optional add-ons. With the example of an automobile, that optional add-on may be something like some sort of a dent coverage or an extended package that includes oil changes, or possibly some uh, upholstery coverage so that if your seats get damaged, then they will either reupholster or replace those seats. Those would be add-on coverages on top of the typical full service agreement. It's very common to see optional add-ons especially with imaging modalities. And some common examples of that would be x-ray tubes or detectors or possibly equipment such as water chillers that are associated with the equipment but may not be directly integrated with the equipment and could be covered either with an external vendor or could be paid time and material separate from the full service contract. If the service agreement is not defined as a full service agreement, it could be a shared agreement, and shared can be a whole variety of different flavors. Typically, when we think of a shared agreement, we're thinking that the in-house hospital organization's HTM department would provide the first look and the preventative maintenance services for those repairs. Shared agreements may include some vendor labor. So even though the HTM department may do the PMs and the first looks, Sometimes it's necessary to bring in the vendor, and it's possible that that vendor labor may be included in that service agreement. This can either be for backup support after the first look and additional help is needed so the vendor will come in, or possibly the individuals from the hospital staff that are trained are out on training or vacation, and the vendor would provide that backup support because there's no other available trained in-house individuals at that time some of these contracts don't include that extra vendor labor or that backup labor and typically that's a way to reduce your contract costs is by reducing that level of service if a shared agreement does not include any vendor labor we oftentimes will refer to that as a parts only contract because essentially The repair parts are the primary thing that's being covered under that contract. For parts-only contracts, they typically include the cost of all the parts for repairs as well as parts associated with a typical preventative maintenance. As I mentioned, vendor labor is not included in a parts-only contract. However, there may be some technical support or some labor discounts built into that agreement if additional support is needed for vendor service. We just talked through full service, and then shared service, and then parts only. And there's actually a level that kind of falls just below parts only, which would be the lowest cost contract level, and therefore also has the lowest amount of coverage associated with it. So these minimal coverage agreements usually don't have any vendor labor support, and they don't include parts support as well. So you may ask, what am I paying for if I don't have a contract that covers Vendor labor or parts? Well, the answer to that is you may have somebody internally trained within your department, yet you still want some access to technical support. You may need some access to software licensing associated with the service software. You may also want some additional parts and labor discounts if you do need that vendor support. And many times a service key, so access to those service tools, is dependent on not only the individual having the proper training, but also having some sort of a minimal coverage level associated with that equipment. These types of agreements are nice when ideally you would like to have no coverage because you have the internal expertise in the training, yet you still want some base support and be able to retain that service key access. So we just defined the coverage level of that equipment. Now we're going to move into the hours of that coverage, meaning when are we covered and when are we not. Typically, we would see coverage hours defined as business hours. An example of that would be 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Off hours are usually charged at a rate of time and a half. However, if you're under some sort of a service agreement, typically those rates are negotiated within that agreement. So it might be a reduced rate from the list price. From the business hours, there's oftentimes the ability to add on optional extensions, such as extended hours, so maybe you'll have coverage from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m., which extends the hours later into the evening. This may be beneficial if you have a heavy patient load during the normal business hours and much of the maintenance needs to take place in the evening, and you may want to extend the hours to accommodate that. You may also find it beneficial to extend the hours into the weekends, so rather than just covering 8 to 5 Monday through Friday, you may want to cover Saturday and Sunday as well. Similar to the extended hours, you may do that to accommodate some services such as preventative maintenance activities on the weekends in order to not disrupt your normal business hours during the week. Those weekend hours may also be extended if you have an extended hours agreement from eight to nine, for instance. But it all really depends on the nature of your business, your patient load, and when you have the capability and ability to make that equipment available for the vendor to work on it. You could likely negotiate a 24 by seven coverage, meaning you could have service and support at any hour of any day. However, that's pretty uncommon. Usually the extended hours are enough to accommodate and if there is services that are needed in the evening after those hours or overnight, that's usually paid as a time and material charge under the negotiated discounted rates of that contractor agreement. Now, we were just talking about normal business hours. Now, let's talk about holidays and some of the common exclusions of coverage under a maintenance agreement. If you work in a hospital, very often your holidays consist of something like Christmas Day, New Year's Day, 4th of July, Labor Day, Memorial Day, and Thanksgiving Day. However, many agreements will include additional holidays, and those holidays typically include Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, and the day after Thanksgiving, because Thanksgiving always lands on a Thursday, therefore the Friday also a lot of times is considered a holiday. And why this is important is because these are not usually covered under the terms of that agreement. So if you do need service or support on those days, you will get charged many times double time. And again, those would be under the negotiated discounted rates within the terms of that agreement. But it's important to know which those dates are because it may not align with your company's holiday schedule. And therefore, you might not be expecting a charge if you call someone in on Thanksgiving Day. Many agreements include something called an uptime guarantee, and that's exactly what it sounds like. It's, we guarantee that your system will be up for a certain period of time. It could be expressed as a percentage such as 98% or it could be expressed in days or weeks or any other measures that would define what the required uptime guarantee is under that agreement. Many times these uptime guarantees only apply to systems that are covered under full service agreement. And there's a reason for that. If the vendor is responsible for a full service agreement, meaning they are fully responsible for all the service and support of that equipment, they can take full accountability of that uptime and provide you that uptime guarantee. Now, if you move to a shared agreement where the vendor is not providing 100% of that service, they don't have full control over what that uptime is. So they would be reluctant to have a guaranteed uptime if they're reliant on, say, in-house or other service providers to deliver on that expectation. A couple notes on uptime. Typically, it's not calculated on a 24 by 7 schedule. Many times, it is just referring to the contract hours of that agreement. So, if you have a contract that is normal business hours, say 8 to 5, the uptime guarantee very often will just represent those hours and not calculate using after hours. If you have extended hours, such as 8 in the morning to 9 p.m. in the evening, the uptime guarantee will very often follow those hours. A definition to understand under uptime guarantees is what is considered down there may be a differentiation between hard down and soft down and that may be defined within that contract and if it's not you may want to clarify that before you enter into that agreement a final note on uptime guarantees is that if you really do the math it's very difficult for a vendor or a service provider to not deliver on their uptime guarantee. For example, a 98% uptime guarantee for normal business hours may require the system to be fully down for an entire week before you would reach that threshold of that guarantee. Another important section of a service agreement is the terms and the termination sections. When I refer to term... I refer to the length as in the time frame, usually expressed in years. And when I say termination, those are the conditions in which it is possible to terminate the agreement. Let's start with term. So a short term agreement usually is one to two years. This is usually more expensive than the long term agreements as far as the per year amount. But it's good if your strategy is unknown for your longtime support of that equipment. Say you're interested in training your in-house team and potentially not requiring a contract in the long term. You would not want to agree to a long-term agreement and one or two years might be something you'd be willing to do. This one to two years would allow for that time to assess what technical training you might need, what tools and what capabilities you would have, and what type of long term approach you would want as far as servicing that equipment. A little longer term would be three years, and that might be a little less expensive because if you're committing to multiple years, the vendor is more likely to allow uh, some discounts in that annual rate. Again, this might buy you enough time to develop your internal capabilities. But if you're getting into, say, a three-year agreement, you should include some sort of flexible coverage, such as if you enter into a full service agreement, the ability to move down to, say, a shared agreement or a parts-only agreement, or even lower to a tech support only agreement within the terms of that agreement, so that you're not completely locked in for the three years, you have some flexibility on your service strategy. When you start to get into five years or more, those are usually the least expensive per year because you're committing to multiple years. And these agreements for sure should have those flexible coverage options that you could change the coverage within the term of that agreement based on your internal capabilities and and your changing service strategies. Really long-term agreements such as 10 years should just never happen. It's impossible to know even five, six, seven years down the road what your capabilities and what your strategies and what your business needs are going to be. And committing to a 10-year agreement is just looking way too far into the future and locking you into something you may or may not regret down the road. Within the definition of the term length of the contract, you could include something called an auto renew. Typically, what that means is after the first year, it'll automatically renew to an additional year unless you give notice. These can be set up where they automatically renew after a certain amount of years. So maybe you go three years and then it auto renew for an additional fourth year. But that auto renew is built in so that you don't have to do anything in order to extend that contract. It'll just keep going until. you do something, usually in writing, to terminate that agreement. Auto-renew agreements will usually have a limit, meaning it might auto-renew every year up to five years, as an example. There are some examples where an auto-renew has no limit, therefore it would go on forever if nobody took action to terminate it. Those are very dangerous agreements to be in and should be avoided at all costs because if you lose track of that agreement through unclear documentation or staff turnover, you could be locked into an agreement many years after you're actually utilizing those services. Similar to auto-renew, there's also something often referred to as optional years, meaning you might have a one-year agreement with the option to extend for two and three years. Essentially, it's the same thing as an auto-renew but it puts a little bit more definition on what the term of that agreement is. So maybe you as a hospital organization are not willing to enter into a five-year agreement, so the vendor will offer you a three-year agreement with options for four and five. Therefore, most likely you will do a five-year agreement, but in the case that your service strategies or your business needs change after three years, you would have that option to get out of that agreement. Now let's move on to termination. So termination, again, is the ability to end that contract under certain circumstances. The best case scenario from an HTM perspective is a 60 to 90 day notice at any time without cause. That isn't typically available, but the next best option would be a 60 to 90 day notice before the anniversary without cause, meaning if you have a five year agreement, you could end that agreement on the one year anniversary of that agreement as long as you give 60 to 90 days notice before the end of that year the most common occurrence for service agreements is that the equipment can be removed from the agreement once it is removed from service it's sold or it's disposed of so once you lock into the agreement it's difficult to remove it from coverage under the terms of that agreement unless it is no longer in your possession or no longer utilized in your organization there may be some language in the agreement that also might refer to end of life or end of support, meaning when that equipment is no longer supported by the manufacturer, they reserve the right to remove it from coverage because they may not have the capabilities, either the technical capabilities or the parts availability to support that equipment. Therefore, they couldn't live up to the terms of that agreement. So, they reserve the right that if that equipment reaches some sort of end of life or end of support, that they would be able to with notice remove it from coverage it's possible that this end-of-life notice may include only portions of the system such as you may have a service agreement that governs a ct scanner but one large component of that ct scanner such as the control council may be end of life or end of support so therefore just the ct control council is not covered any longer under that agreement but the rest of the system is still covered One more point on termination is the concept of co-termination. Co-termination is when you have a large amount of equipment on a single service contract or possibly separate service contracts, but they are co-terminant, meaning they all end at the same time. This is extremely beneficial from an administrative perspective because it's a lot easier to keep track of these contracts if they all expire at the same time. It also makes things simpler when you're doing large renewals because you're negotiating a large pool of equipment and you can align service strategies and be very consistent across the coverage of that equipment. Service agreements come in a variety of forms and flavors and many options that can be tweaked in order to meet your business needs or your technical strategies. Understanding where you are and where you can go with your service agreements is essential in your financial management of medical equipment.